0: So, uh, what a magnificent section of scripture uh, Tracy read to us, and uh, no way can we do the whole of that section of scripture justice this evening. However, uh, we are able to uh, uh, point out that um, the whole of God's word is obviously a tremendous blessing. But in the scriptures that uh, Tracy read, you'll notice that the word abide appeared so many times, particularly in the second half. And we discover that the strength that we have as believers is simply maintained by our abiding in Christ Jesus, by our abiding in the fellowship of believers. And so as we have sung the hymn Onward Christian Soldiers, which some would say is politically incorrect to do so, there is a real sense in which we discover that yes, we are an army that has to be mobilized. We have taken too many opportunities to sit back and we haven't made the statements that we should have, the defenses that we should have, but we do continue to uh, do all that we can. And this evening, we're going to carry on really from where we uh, spoke our, uh, from this morning, looking at the subject of the fact that where the gospel is concerned, the truth is absolutely vital. Where our Christian life is concerned, the truth is vital. We discover that many people will come along and tell us all sorts of things. And the question that we need to be asking always is Is what we are being told actually the truth? Does it have that resonance in our heart as the Holy Spirit lives within us and we know that what we're hearing is the truth? Because today people are quite prepared, perfectly happy to accept lies. Lies have been told so often that now they appear to be the truth and people are prepared to accept them. Now, I've got no idea when I discovered this has got a little pointy thing on it, so I'm feeling really, uh, I feel like one of those university types now, you know, the ones that have gone to university and got degrees and, and they can point at things, okay? And uh, I, I've, I've no idea exactly where uh, Route 25 is or whatever it is, but truth or consequences is a, is a place in the United States of America. And I think I'd like to go there just to see what it's like. Um, I wonder what the consequences are if you go there. But is it true would be one of the questions that we have. John, uh, 1 John 2, 18 and, uh, to 29 is uh, the section of scripture that we have read. And we take that one verse. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So that really is the litmus test, if you like, in our Personal faith. What do we think of Jesus? Do we think in anything of Jesus? What what does the name Jesus mean to us? And then, of course, when we go out into the world and into the community of which we're a part, we ask the question, what do you think of Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? Do you know Jesus? What does that name mean to you? Well, quite often it's just a blasphemous name that is used to try and uh, pers- uh, uh, sort of cover the way that we perhaps feel. So the questions that we we're looking at at uh, this evening, and I realize that some of them are uh, pretty stressy in that sense. Are you a liar? Well, of course you're going to say no. But now go back to the verse that you have. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So ultimately you come back and you ask that question, who and what do I think of Jesus? And that enables us to answer the next question. Do you know the truth? Well, of course, the truth that we're talking of this evening is the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, which has been made clear in Scripture for all of us to be able to read and to appreciate and to understand. And then, of course, that leads us on to the question, are you prepared for the consequences of walking away from the truth? And Julia kindly brought us a little glass of uh, the gravel from outside, and we looked at that this morning as we considered the fact that that verse in Matthew 21, 44 talks about the fact that Jesus is the rock, and if you trip over a rock, you can break something, and if a rock falls on you, and this is what Jesus is warning us about, that rock falling on us can kill us. So here's the statement that we find so often is being made today. Uh, We discover that the modern idea of society is that you believe in yourself, okay? Um, Nothing else is trustworthy, So therefore, you must be trustworthy, which means put all your belief and all your trust in yourself, and that'll get you through life's difficulties and problems. That'll help you, if not, uh, see you right the way through uh, to the end. Now, what happens at the end, not entirely sure. Um, If you put your uh, belief in yourself, well, uh, you, you you know yourself, and you know the weaknesses that you have. You know the failings in your life. If there's anyone who knows the failings in my life, it's me. And all of you can say the same thing about your life, because you too know who you are better than everybody else does. Maybe your husband or your wife you know, has a pretty good idea, and if put on the spot, they could sort of give you a bit of a rundown. But at the end of the day, the idea today is that uh, we believe in ourselves. And then, of course, the second question that so often is uh, presented to us is this. And it's what's behind this question which is important that we need to look at, or statement rather, that we need to look at this evening. And it's this, is that it makes no difference what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. So you can believe anything you want to as long as you have that sincerity and that self-conviction that what you believe is the truth. <laughs> and I meet some people and I think to myself, wow, you've got to have a lot of sincerity when it comes to the things that you're talking about and presenting, so God, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> God gives us some warning signs. And uh, the section of scripture that uh, Tracy read to us that we find here in one uh, John, um, you know, we we don't have favourite sections of scripture as such, but I have to say that John's first epistle it really is one of that those sections of scripture which endears itself so powerfully to us because it is so immensely practical. You can relate to it without having to think too hard. You can understand what is being said because he uses pictures and analogies which are clear. He talks about light and dark and so on, and now he's talking about the truth and he's talking about lies. And so we discover that he begins by addressing us as little children. Now, we looked at this last week, if you remember, and we're not talking about something Uh, which could be deemed as being um, sort of undermining here, not at all. Because the statement, little children, tells us a great deal about the group of people that this letter is being written to and why this group of people is so important. It is being written to the church. That's who the children are that are being referred to. And so you see, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're born again. And now you understand the statement that is being made little children because that's who we are in Christ. We come out of the world. We come out of the death of the world and we come into the life and into the light of the gospel. And we are born again. The old is past. The new is come. We're a new creation. And as we said last week, when you hold that newborn baby in your hands, it has been given everything that it needs to live if it eats. Okay? But it's... It knows how to eat, it knows how to breathe because it's been born that way and you and I when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ we are born that way. There's nothing else we need except the determination as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us to be able to take in God's word and to grow. So John uh, speaks very clearly about the concept or the conflict rather between light and darkness. uh, John chapter one through to John chapter two And we discover, if you've been able to come along to the Bible studies, we've looked at all of this in some detail, and it's been a joy. We know that light and darkness don't mix, okay? Even if you have the tiniest spark in a dark room, it's incredible how that fills, that tiny spark will fill the room with light. If you've been on one of those cave journeys, those cave trips, And as we did uh, the last time we went to uh, the UK, we went down a cave called Wookiee Hole. Now, isn't that an interesting name? wonder why it was called Wookiee Hole. There you go. So we went down into this cave, and then the chap says, uh, when we're all gathered in the bottom, uh, it's just in the Cheddar Gorge where they store the cheddar cheeses underground, where real cheddar cheese, you've no idea what cheddar cheese is until you've eaten real cheddar cheese. And uh, they take you into the cave below, flick the switch, and all the lights go out. And the darkness is repressive it's heavy you feel it physically weighing down on you put your hand there you see nothing because our eyes work I believe on light refracting uh, to be able to see things very clever okay creation amazing isn't it and then a tiny light and one match will almost fill the cavern with light and this is how the gospel works in our dark sin-filled lives And this evening as you're here, if you don't know and love the Lord Jesus, you're living in the darkness. And you've never seen that flicker of light come into your heart and in your life. And when it does, it is so exciting and it's wonderful. And it's it's just incredible. And the tiniest spark, because that's when we're born again, begins. And then it grows and it grows. And John says there's this conflict between light and darkness. But he also goes on to talk about the conflict between love and hatred. You know, there is the wrong type of love. If you love the world, God hates that love. But the love that we need to have is the love for God. And now there's the conflict between truth and error. And that's the subject that we're looking at this evening. Between truth and error and the fact that lies have consequences. I think it was um, Fox News recently had had a big court, that had gone on in the States, and they were facing a probably a, or possibly a, a $1.4 billion lawsuit because Fox News had made some statements that were not deemed to be true. And uh, they settled for $780 million, I think. So they obviously knew that there was a problem with some of the things that they had been saying. But I want to say this to you, lies have consequences. Now if you're sort of like three or four years old, you know what those consequences are, particularly when your mother explains it and then deals with the matter in a way that you'll remember for some time afterwards. Okay, and if you're a teenager and your mother or your father wants to know where you've been and you lie about it, the truth will come out. Because it always does. And even in our government, we discover that lies are told, but the truth will prevail. It may take a while, but it will prevail, and the truth will come out. And now, in our lives, spiritually speaking, we can believe anything we want, but one day the truth will confront us. And it's possible that on that day, it will be too late for you to do anything about it. Because the truth was never adhered to, and so the consequence is what will take over. Lies have consequences, and John begins by explaining the seriousness of lies because of the times that we live in. So what is it that uh, John is talking about to help us to begin to um understand this and i just have to uh, uh check one thing right so i'd like before we look at that to uh just read some details of an article that uh, was on the bbc news recently and uh If anybody would like to read it, I'll leave it up here afterwards, but I want to warn you that it is about Satanism. So only come and look at it if you feel that you want to just see some more details. Um, The article is entitled, The Satanic Temple. Think you know about Satanists? Maybe you don't. So this was on uh, the mainstream BBC News article. I'm just going to read some of it because it's important that uh, we understand um, uh, the fact that spiritual warfare is real. Um, Satan is real and we know that uh, in a lot of things that are taking place in uh, our society um, we're uh, told that uh, you know you're being overly concerned about these things so the article begins by saying this this may be the world's largest ever gathering of Satanists and it's about to begin so this article was last week so it's happening as we talk now and we'll stop in a moment and just pray about this. And it's about to begin at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Boston. In a candlelit room set aside for Satanist ceremonies, a neon sign welcomes you to the little black chapel. A raised altar stands at one end and a white pentagram on the floor in front of it. The ritual being performed here is an unbaptism in which participants symbolically reject religious rites performed uh, on them when they were children. They wear floor-length hooded cloaks and black face masks. Their hands are bound with a rope, which is then cast off to represent liberation. Pages are then torn out of the Bible to symbolize the overturning of their Christian baptism in the past. It's clear that the experience was very powerful for those who took part in it. The Satanic Temple is recognized as a a religion by the U.S. government and has ministers and congregations all over the United States of America, in Europe and in Australia. More than 830 people snapped up the tickets for the late April convention dubbed SatanCon. Members say that they don't actually believe in a literal Lucifer or hell. Instead, they say Satan is a metaphor for questioning authority and grounding your beliefs in science. Okay, if you're beginning to feel confused at this particular moment in time, uh, you're in good company, I am as well. The sense of community around these shared values makes it a religion, they say. They do not use the symbols of Satan for rituals, for example, when celebrating a wedding or adopting a new, sorry, they do use the symbols of Satan uh, for uh, for weddings and for adopting a new name. That might include having an upside-down neon cross on your altar while shouting hail satan for many christians this is serious blasphemy that's not wrong agrees dex jazardin a spokesman for the satanic temple so he admits it a lot of our imagery is inherently blasphemous and we're proud of that we've got folks who wear inverted crosses And our opening ceremony did have the ripping of a Bible as a symbol of oppression, especially oppression for LGBTQ folk and women and also for the BIPOC community and pretty much anybody else who's grown up with religious trauma, which is a tremendous number of our members. The temple also advocates for abortion access arguing that anyone should have autonomy over their own body. Earlier this year, it opened an online clinic based in New Mexico which provides abortion pills by mail. It has also developed an abortion ritual for people terminating a pregnancy which is designed to be comforting and involves reciting an affirmation before the abortion takes place and argues its members must be religiously exempt from abortion bans that would stop them performing it. That rationale has drawn criticism, particularly from the Catholic churches uh, and the Catholic uh, newspaper called the National Catholic Register. In a hall packed with supporters, the directors of the uh, STS campaign uh, present updates on their work. Successes are greeted with whoops, applauses, and signs of the horns. Another project drawing headlines is after-school Satan Clubs. The slogan is, Educate with Satan. The temple would rather keep religion out of schools, but wants to counter faith groups coming in to evangelize pupils. So where local people have asked for it, it tries to launch an after-school Satan Club focused on community service, science, crafts, and critical thinking. Opponents say it's frightening to children, but TST says it is uh, it, it, that its content is demon-free. They have a kid's song which says this, my pal Satan with a bopping animated goat and the lines say, Satan's not an evil guy. He wants you to learn and question why. He wants you to have fun and be yourself and by the way, there is no hell. So that's the article that uh, is uh, being uh, or the, the the meeting which is taking place at the moment and we discover that uh, many things are being said, which are obviously totally and utterly contrary to the scriptures. Satan, you know, is no bad guy. Have lots of fun. Everything's okay. So friends, the opportunity for us to, um, to repent of our sin and to, turn, to drawing, and turn and draw to Christ from what John is saying is a limited period of time that we have. We know that the world is presenting lies. The Satanic temple presents lies. They've prepared books for children which talk about how good Satan is, how lovely Satan is, and so on. But now we come to the reality of the fact that there is a consequence if we do not believe the truth. Since the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is doing a new thing in this world. All of the Old Testament history... Uh, prepared the way for the work of Christ on the cross. And as we look at the Old Testament Scriptures, we see clearly so many types and examples of what Christ has done for us. The Old Testament sacrifices, which saw the shedding of blood, enable us to see that in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that one sacrifice for all time, the blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Scriptures tell us. All of history since that time is merely preparation for the end time when Jesus will come and establish his kingdom. There is nothing more that God must do for the salvation of sinners. The work is done. All of it is done. There's nothing you and I can do to create our own salvation. What we have to do is to respond to what has been offered to us and the gospel, as we saw this morning, begins by us appreciating and understanding the fact that we are sinners and we need to come to an almighty God who, through Jesus Christ, has enabled us to be saved. The clock continues to tick, and what Paul and John observed in their day, we see the same in our day, except that the intensity is growing. So Satanism, for example, is something which just a short while ago would never have been openly and publicly stated in the way that it is. But now it is, and we discover very clearly that lies are being accepted on the same level as the truth of the gospel is being presented. So we discover that government accepts that if you're going to say Christians are entitled to meet then so too are Satanists. And we see that this is the way that Satan is working. Does it make any difference what you believe? Well, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. I want you to think for that statement for a moment. Does it make any difference as to what you believe? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that it makes all the difference in the world. You and I are living in crisis days. According to the scriptures, the last hour, and we recognize that that has an imperative for us. And John says that the spirit of Antichrist is working in the world. And we see it all the time. Sometimes we don't realize that it is there and that it is happening. Because the problem is is that you and I have sometimes allowed our standards to slip and we have allowed the spirit of Antichrist to come into our homes and into our families, into our marriages, into our churches, and slowly but surely, we are seeing that effect, that whittling down of the gospel and our understanding of what it is to be a believer and a Christian. And so it is vitally important that you and I know and believe the truth. And it's also vitally important that we're able to detect lies. So what are the things you look for when someone's lying to you? Yes. Sorry. Their posture, yes, okay, so if they're looking down at the ground when your daughter or your son is telling you what they didn't do, and you know they did, quite often there's no eye contact, and that's the truth for other people, you know, you talk to them, and it's obvious that there is lying that is taking place, and we discover that uh, this is the case uh, when we talk to people. So it's vitally important that you know and believe the truth and that you are able to detect lies when they come your way. So what are the evidences of a true Christian life? Now, I use those words, and it sometimes it's not easy because surely a Christian is a Christian. Well, the problem is, is that the term Christian is now one that covers a multitude of sins, if I could put it that way. Because you see, what is it that we believe? What is it that makes us a Christian? You know, is it just going to church? Is, is that what's required? Is it as many people in Britain, I think something like 60, 60, 70% of people in the United Kingdom consider themselves to be Christians. No, the only time they ever went to church was when they were about uh, two months old and they were baptized or christened and uh, the priest uh, would uh, sprinkle some water on and give them their Christian name because in England we talk about Christian names and we talk about our surname. And so when, you, when you're discussing that, that's what uh, many people will think to themselves. So they have this understanding, You know, what does the word Christian really mean? Well, it should mean that we are a follower of Christ. Now, what is a follower of Christ? Well, a follower of Christ is somebody who has been born again It is somebody who believes in Jesus completely. It is somebody who accepts the word of God as being the word of God and having authority which is given clearly in the scriptures. But today, a Christian is somebody who is born in a Christian, so-called Christian country, is somebody who perhaps has some sort of affiliation with the church, perhaps even goes to church regularly. They might give money to the church or to charity or some other thing. And that is where the lie comes in. Because people have this false sense of security. And there is this understanding that I am okay because of where I live. Because of what has happened to me perhaps in the past. So verse 19 says, they went out from us. This is one of those verses again, we looked at a few this morning. But do we really understand what this verse is talking about? And it's very important that we do. So the verse 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now, the word us is used quite a few times in that statement. What is the statement talking about? I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? Because the word us refers, of course, to the fellowship of believers, to the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, You see, not everybody who comes to church, or even who is a member of a church, is necessarily saved. An important point that we understand. But the verse that we're talking about there is that they went out from us, but they were not of us. So this is talking about people who were apparently in the church, but then they left the church. And the reason they left the church is because they were never part of the body of Christ. And so this evening, as we talk about the gospel in our gospel service, there are some of you who are thinking to yourself, yeah, I can understand that because I could easily go out. In fact, if it wasn't for the fact that my mum and my dad tell me I've got to be here, I'd be off somewhere else. Okay? And then there are other people that are getting to the point of saying, in fact, I had an email this week from um, Tithely. Tithely is the people that help us with our software for the church. And uh, they sent an article on how to deal with or how to confront people who are disowning the Christian faith, who are saying to their pastor, Pastor, you know, it's been great knowing you for a while, but I've thought about it, and it's not for me anymore. Okay? You know, you can carry on. I wish you well, but it's not for me anymore. I, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with the rules. It I, means nothing to me. And so we discover that now there is an open, there's an openness regarding the fact that we're no longer interested. Now the reason that we're no longer interested is because we never were part of the fellowship. We never were part of the church. We never had been born again. And the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit moved into our hearts and into our lives. So John is explaining that very clearly to us. And this is one of the lies that we so easily believe. One of the true evidences of the Christian life is a desire to be with God's people and not just turn up and have a cup of tea and coffee at the end and one of those nice little lemon cakes which I put out on a weekly basis to tempt me to eat them. okay. Because that's not what it's about. The reason that we meet together is because we want to meet together, because we have this commonality. If you're not in it, you can't understand it. But you need to find out, because the truth has consequences. And if you throw the towel in and leave, then you're going to walk out on your own. And you will be on your own. But then you've got confidence in yourself, haven't you? Because you've said, I can do it. I, 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 I can live my life and be successful and achieve everything I want to. And you losers that have to have some sort of crutch to rest upon, I'll show you. You've got to be jolly sure to be able to do that. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren, 1 John 3, verse 14. I'm going to say that again. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. So there it is, one of the greatest evidences. And if you have no love for the other people here tonight, and I agree, some of them are not easy to love, (laughs) You know? Yeah. My wife's glaring at me. I don't know what I... Yeah. yeah, relax. Okay. But you see, that's the evidence, isn't it? Do we want to be here? Do we want to be part of the fellowship? So you you know, you know, think you're saved. You think you're a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, but you don't want to... In fact, as soon as you can get out afterwards, you're away. The Scriptures go on and say... When people share the same divine nature, whoa, now now we're really treading on something pretty tricky, aren't we? When we share a divine nature, you see, that's the beauty of the Christian faith. This is, this is what is so wonderful about the family of God is that we have the same nature. Why? Because we're born with the same heavenly father. And the characteristics of our father begin to appear in us as we grow and develop. When you look at that little baby and someone picks it up and they say, wow, doesn't it look like it's father? And you think, poor little girl. <laughs> you know? Hoping that you're going to say, doesn't it look like it's mum, <laughs> if it's a girl? But people already, even though the baby is like still sort of pink, screwed up flesh, you know, they can see the character or, or, or a similarity in the family line. And that, friends, is what the scriptures are talking about here. When people share the same nature, 2 Peter 1.4, and are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit, Romans 8.14-16. And when they enjoy fellowship and to share with one another, because that's where our strength is, and we need strength in our togetherness more than ever before. And so the gospel tonight, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know it, I'm warning you about the consequences. Jesus warned about the consequences. So be careful. If you do not want to be part of a fellowship of believers, it's because you're not a believer. And I'm sorry if that comes out rather bluntly. But that's the reality. And the scriptures explain this. The lie that you are believing is that you do not need to be part of the church. There are people that come to church. And I've explained to you before, we don't come to church, we belong to the church. And we're not talking about a tent or a building. What we're talking about is this body of Christ made up of living stones that interact and fit together, and it's a joy. If you regularly meet with other Christians, but it means nothing to you, then the lie you are believing is that you will be saved just by being in church. And I come across this particular point many times with people. The truth is that you will want to be part of a fellowship because you belong to Jesus and you are part of his church. So that's the first one. The second one is denying Christ. Now we discover here, this is obviously vitally important for us. Is Jesus merely an example? Is he merely a good man in history that you have read about, that you've watched some sort of film on television, a series perhaps where you have seen uh, a a, a portrayal of the life of Jesus and you think to yourself, well actually, you know, he was a pretty decent chap. I can see that. And we discover that in business, for example, uh, we find that... uh, uh, in, in Britain, thinking back to some of the, um, uh, the business meetings that we used to, where well, they used to tell you how to run your company and things like that. And uh, I remember one of them, this guy was talking about, he says, you've got to be evangelistic in what you're selling. And I'm thinking, he said, wow, okay. You know, you need to be, you need to be sure about what you're selling, okay? And, and, and you, you need to, to preach the message. And I'm thinking, okay, where's this guy come from, all right? But he's right in that sense, because you begin to understand it. Is Jesus merely an example to you? Um, Is he a good man? A a wonderful teacher? You know, he he says that money is the root of all evil. Well, no, that's not quite true. He said the love of money is the root of all evil, but it's close enough, isn't it? Okay, and so we've got to uh, begin to understand, or is he God come in the flesh? Now, that's where everything changes, Because if he's God, then that means I've got to sit up and take note and start listening. Because all of a sudden, lots of things come to our mind. Notice that John's readers knew the truth. We read that, or as Tracy read it, we discovered that about Jesus, or else they would not be saved. You all know the truth because you have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit teaches you all things. 1 John 2 verse 20. Romans 8, 9. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of us. Now we've said this before and I explain it again. It's not actually the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed on the cross that makes us a Christian. Okay? It's vital, but it is in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It's when Christ moves into our heart that we become Christ's we become a believer. Now we see that knowing the truth about Jesus is vital to our rescue from sin but the unsaved world only wants to believe lies. Now I say that and they of course would argue that point but it's true because whenever we present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ immediately there is a rejection of it. There is a pushing away of it. Government in Canada has introduced legislation that describes the Bible as fairy tales and old wives' tales. It describes it as lies and tradition. Okay? So already we see that this quantum shift has taken place in that we used to be in a society where believers and people who were part of churches and those who were not believers and were quite open about it still had the same moral values. So the people in this uh, group knew that divorce was wrong because the Bible said so. The people in this group also knew that divorce was wrong, it wasn't right. The people in this group knew that abortion was wrong. And the people in this group knew that abortion was wrong. This group knew that euthanasia was wrong. This group knew that euthanasia was wrong. This group knew that you had to care for children. This group knew that you had to care for children. They weren't believers, but there was a commonality, that has now broken. So that this group is isolated, and this group believes what it wants, and it will believe any lie that is presented to it, okay? So if a girl finds herself pregnant, this group says, well, you don't want this to wreck the rest of your life, do you? And so we'll deal with it, and that's the right thing to do, and the lie is presented. And this group should say we're going to help the girl and we're going to care for her and her baby because we're going to show the love of God in that situation. And so we begin to see the imperative that there is of the true. To confess that Jesus is God come in the flesh involves much more than simply to identify Christ. Even the devils can do this, Mark 1 Verse 24, true confession involves personal faith in Christ, and this comes from knowing the truth, okay? So again, we have to come back right the way to that. Uh, 1 John 2, 25, you have trusted Christ and have confessed your faith. You have eternal life. Those who cannot honestly make this confession do not have eternal life, which is the consequence of believing the lie that Jesus is not God, and that Jesus cannot save you, um, George Whitfield. I told this uh, account uh, to um, uh, to uh, the the Bible study that we had uh, a while back, and I just uh, refresh my memory because it helps us to understand. And some of us can relate to this very clearly. It's an account in one of George Whitfield's journals. Uh, George Whitfield, for those of you who don't know, yes, he was British, but I can't uh, you know, apologize for that. He came to America, to North America on many occasions and preached the gospel back in the 1700s. And uh, he was an evangelist and he was speaking to a man about his soul. That's what an evangelist does. And he asked the man and he said this, sir, what do you believe? Now, That's a perfectly reasonable question, isn't it? And the man replied and said this. He said, I believe what my church believes. Well, that's a pretty good answer, wasn't it? Okay. And he replied respectfully to Mr. George Whitfield. And so Mr. Whitfield turns to him and says, and so tell me, what does your church believe? And the man replies to him and says, the same thing I believe, okay? Which again is a perfectly reasonable statement when you think about it in such respects. And I got a feeling there are some of us here this evening who can relate to this conversation pretty well, okay? Because you've never actually understood what you believe, but you're prepared to say that you believe what the church believes. Because that's the safe option, isn't it? okay. And so Mr. Whitfield turns to him and says, and so what do you both believe? Which is again a very reasonable statement. We both believe the same thing, said the man, (laughs) okay? And that was the only reply that he could get. A man is not saved by assenting to church creed and doctrine. The man or the woman is saved by trusting Jesus Christ and bearing witness of his faith. And we see that in Romans 10 Verses 9 to 10. So to recap, and then we have the last point. I see, sadly, someone's put the clock right. (laughs) So the evidence is that we have truly come to faith in the Lord Jesus and that we are growing and maturing in our faith and our trust in the Savior is that we want to be part of the fellowship of believers. We want to be part. We will have a desire to meet together with others because that's where our our strength is. That's where we gain fellowship and we need fellowship. Uh, That we will want to support each other and strengthen each other and spend time studying the word and growing together. Growing together, you know, that's an exciting thing. And it's wonderful to be able to encourage each other. Young people as well here, do try this out. Encourage each other with verses and texts You know, you're into all the social media. Use it for a good reason. Send them something encouraging to help you to grow and just say, today God spoke to me. Don't be afraid to say it and share it with other people to encourage them. We will also be consumed by the truth about who Jesus is and that consumption will just grow and grow and grow. We'll just want more and more to know more and more about Jesus because all of a sudden we discover that we're growing to be like him and that's what the Bible tells us will happen. And suddenly we discover that our way of thinking, we've got the mind of Christ. Is that possible? Yes, it is. The scriptures exhort us to have this and this happens as we get to know our Savior. To know the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We'll also be grieved when we hear lies being told about Jesus. Doesn't it hurt you when you hear people say the most terrible things about our Savior? It cuts to the heart. But do you let them get away with it? There's no reason why you can't just say, excuse me. I'm just graciously asking, could you not speak like that? Could you not use the name of Jesus? Jesus. In that way, and invariably you 'll find people will say, "Oh, i 'm so sorry, i didn 't realize, okay, so don't be afraid to do that. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Is there any sinners here this evening? Okay, a few hands went up <laughs> okay that 's why Christ came. You see, he loves you, God." God loves us and this is where salvation begins because of his love for us. But the third and final evidence that we belong to Christ or indeed that we do not belong to Christ, that we have never actually come to faith in the Savior is that we have never fully and wholeheartedly submitted our lives to him. And I gotta say, this is the sticking point for many people. The word submission is not one that we like particularly. It's not one that endears itself to us. We don't like submitting to anybody, uh, and we don't uh, enjoy the concept in that sense, but we discover that we have to submit to Christ. A believer, someone who has come to faith in the Lord, Jesus (coughs) must allow the Holy Spirit of God to teach them from the Bible. But if you don't believe the Bible, that's gonna be tricky, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, if you don't believe it, it doesn't matter what is said and I've told you the story about the little old lady who's ill in hospital and her pastor comes to see her and he says oh we ought to read from the bible where's your bible uh he says to the old lady and she points to the uh uh, the table beside the bed and he goes over picks it up and, and he opens it it's just a front cover and a back cover and he says well where's the pages gone and she says well every time you said that it wasn't true I tore the page out okay and there's nothing left and in church after church after church, that's what's going on. People will just tear the page out because they're not prepared to accept it. And that's what, uh, what is happening. But the world around us is quite content with lies. That's the nature of the world in which we live. The media lies to us. When you turn on uh, and watch the news or listen to the radio or, or buy a newspaper, you've got to say, well, you know, is it true, first of all? And the chances are today that it is not Because the truth has become an offense in many areas. But God says that it does matter. The world tells us that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in this. Well, we could put that to the test, couldn't we, for a moment? Sincerity. A nurse, is there any nurses here or ex-nurses, previous nurses this evening? Okay, there's one there. There's, uh, there's a couple, two or three. So a nurse is given instructions as to the medication to give to the patient. And she gives the medication to the patient. And the patient takes a terrible turn for the worse. And heart rate rises or stops altogether. And the wrong medication was given. But the nurse is sincere in what she's done. But the doctor's made the mistake but she's sincere in what she's happened. A man is asleep at night and he hears someone downstairs in the house and he convinces himself you're being burgled. He goes down and he fires a a shot, puts the light on and he sees his daughter lying dead on the floor. But he was sincere in his belief that his house was being burgled and it was the right thing to do. So you can be sincere in your belief, but you're wrong, so you're sincerely wrong. And so the Bible says, and God says, it matters what you believe. It's interesting that people who want to deceive us will often use parts of God's word to support what they're saying. And that, I think, is one of the most dangerous things that people can do, is to take Scripture out of context, They justify their own uh, beliefs by taking part of Scripture. People today love to quote 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And they will then interpret anything which is not what they believe to be love as being hatred. And of course, that's not what the verses are saying. How ignorant it is of people to take this approach. How shallow it is of people to take This idea, how narrow-minded it is and how pathetically manipulative it is when people take sections of scripture to justify their actions in this way. Some of them have never stepped foot in a church but they're determined to try and say the church is wrong. And they will quote things like this. The fact that God is love, so the verses go on to explain, was demonstrated by the fact that God sent his only begotten son into the world. And that's the verses that we have read, that we might live through him, verse 9. Then verse 12 explains that if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. The gospel begins, as I've said, with, the God, with God's love, and then moves on to the need to recognize that we are sinners and that we do not live in the way that God wants us to live. So that brings us to the close of our message this evening. Little children, says John. He's talking about people who claim at least to be in the church he says you need to live in obedience to God you need to love each other in the love of God you need to know the truth about God and the truth about yourself that's what he's saying little children already have the characteristics of the nature of their father and mother do you have the characteristics of God so, a lady who was running a Sunday school class, uh, she was passionate for the kids, but it just did not work. The kids were not happy. Parents were uneasy with some of the things that were being said, done. And so the pastor is wheeled in to sort the problem out. I always like that particular case when everything's going wrong. You know, let's uh, bring the pastor in, he's got to try and sort everything out. And uh, he talks to her, you know, senses a bit uneasy. But things carry on and it's no real improvement. And then one evening, the pastor has preached his heart out for the gospel and he says, you need to know the truth. And he explains the gospel just as we have this evening. And as the last hymn is being sung, the lady who is the Sunday school teacher walks slowly up the aisle and he thinks to himself, oh, she's just, you know, wanting to make some sort of commitment of some sort. And she comes up to the front and she says, pastor, I now understood why the class was a failure. Because I never was one of you. I never did know Jesus. I thought I did and I did my best and I tried hard and I copied everybody else and I read what the Sunday school manual said but it didn't mean anything to me. It was just empty words. And there are many of us that have that problem. And some of us are perhaps here this evening, I don't know, you know, And she came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Sunday school class changed because she was convicted and she had to be able to share that conviction with the kids. And that's the same for you and for me. God's not interested in hypocrisy. Nor are we who are part of the fellowship here. What we want is real Christian faith And we see it and God knows it because it's real, because he's moved into our hearts and in our lives. Tonight, it's time to examine your heart and life, to test yourself, to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Does your life really bear the marks of obedience and love and truth? Or are you just a big pretense now here's the thing you might not think everybody else knows but everybody else those who are believers do <coughs> you think you've got away with it you haven't and you need to be aware of that Does your life really bear the marks of obedience, love, and truth? If after you have examined yourself, you know that you are not real, then I'm afraid I have to tell you that there are consequences that you will face. And those consequences are eternal separation from God. You will never be welcomed into his kingdom, even though you thought you should be. So what do you do? Well, now you turn to the Lord. You see what he's done for you and he's done everything for you. There's nothing he hasn't done for you. You didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he did it for me. Because whilst I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Whilst you are still sinners, Christ died for you. And this is the mystery he is prepared to take your sin on himself and give you his righteousness so that Randy can stand in clean robes and he doesn't deserve it but that's What Christ has done. So tonight, don't walk out like you did last week and do the same things and start Monday morning with the same attitude that you've had. Change. And that change is possible only through Christ. Because as we said this morning, what's that verse? Nor is there any other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Notice the scripture uses the word must. You must be saved. Can I make it any clearer? So pray tonight and ask the Lord to change you I'm glad it's in the twinkling of an eye. From the ugly grub into the beautiful butterfly. And that's what it's all about. So that's the gospel message. Repent, change your mind, call to him. And accept the truth and submit to him. Thank you for your patience. And if anybody would like to talk to myself or if you'd be happier talking to Joe. Uh, my wife.